0: Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I know cloudy days for a Californian, it's tough to wake up. My name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. We want to welcome you to our worship in church. Um, we're continuing in our series in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. It'll be projected over screen for us as we read the scripture today. Starting at verse 7, this is a reading of God's word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world I've entitled this, series, uh, this message, Born to Love. At the beginning of our series, Pastor Harold uh, taught us that the main theme of 1 John is the love the Father has for his children that we might know complete joy. And one of the most powerful ways that we experience this joy is as we experience his love and then share that with one another. One of the things that I guess is a question for many of us as we live each day and for all of us who work and have families and have responsibilities, sometimes the day or the weeks feel like we're existing. We exist. There is a schedule we don't have control over. It is set for us and we just go through the days. And then every once in a while we pause and we reflect and ask questions about life, about purpose. And we ask, why am I doing all this? Without purpose, we exist. But when we understand what we were born for, and we live with purpose, and we live. Last year, uh, Steph Curry, in the pursuit of their third championship, was quoted in the Christian Post. And uh, the, the, the article was entitled, Steph Curry, and quote, I want my life to reflect God's love, grace, and mercy. It caught my attention and one of the things that he said in this, in regards to his success and his pursuit as a Christian man coming from a Christian home, he says, The Lord has blessed me with these talents to do something special, but it's not about me. That is something I want my career and my life to be a reflection of, his love and his grace and his mercy, whether it's winning a game or losing games, making shots or missing shots. It's all about giving glory to God. What I loved about this article and what Stephen Curry was saying is that although he's had all this success, it's not about that. Ultimately, these are God-given gifts and talents to live out the purpose in which he would demonstrate and speak about his Lord and Savior. Although he's a successful NBA champion pursuing yet another championship, in another sense, he is simply a child of God. And he's experiencing the joy of living out his purpose that God has given to him. Today, I want us to think about what it means as Christians to live out one of the great purposes for which God has brought us to him, which is to know of his love and then to be ones who would demonstrate that love. In 1 John, in chapter 4, John warns the Christians not to accept every claim that they hear, that right doctrine is one of the significant ways we define who we are as God's people and God's children. And then he moves into love, the other side of the coin. It's not just good enough to know the truth, but it is to understand that that truth has a context of love. And he makes it clear that in no uncertain terms that those who claim to love God and yet ha- yet hates his brother, John says he's a liar. He doesn't quite understand what it is that he so boldly proclaims. And so today, through this text, I want to answer three questions that kind of rise from this text. It's very simple, but they're significant for us to understand together. The first question is, how do we define love? Defining love is significant. It's one of those abstract thoughts that we all think we kind of have a hold on, but we realize sometimes we really don't. The second question is, why did God love us so? I think a lot of times we assume, of course God loved me, I'm so lovable. But we realize through the gospel that, man, that's not always so, so real. And then third question is, why do we have to love others? These questions are, are issues that John addresses in this text. And I want us to begin with the first one. How do we define love? In verse 7 and 8, it says, Beloved. This is a reality. The, the children of God are beloved people of God. John uh, writes to the church that he loves, but he's also, I believe, speaking of the fact that these beloved that he loves is also the very beloved of God. And he says, As we have been loved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has been born of God and knows God, they love Now, if you look up at a dictionary, you'll find definitions of love. And some of the common words that you'll find is that it's an intense feeling of deep emotion. That these definitions speak about how love makes us feel. But we understand that love is not just a strong emotion. It's an experience. It can include a strong emotion, but it is not defined by that emotion. Another way that people speak about love confuses love with infatuation or even lust. It's all these things of the things that are going on inside of me. And I've discovered in my life that there there are people who find certain things attractive about other people that we find odd. That one person finds something attractive, the other person may think that's weird. And you can't always control what you're attracted to, but in wisdom, many Christians have said you can choose whom you love, because love is a commitment of the will. And our culture speaks about love like falling in love, an uncontrollable experience. You can't Once you start falling, you can't stop even if you want to. And that's the way the world speaks about love. And it's an uncontrollable, it's this strong, deep emotion, this feeling that we have. And for some of us who are uh, from my generation, we know of uh, an, an artist, Tina Turner, who, in her most one of her well-known songs, "What's Love Got to Do with It," in her thought, it's a second-hand emotion. Because sometimes love doesn't always feel good; it hurts. And so, what love is not is clearly, it's not just a strong emotion because it's 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 a feeling that both can be good and painful. But what I've learned from scripture and what I've learned in life is that love is definitely not a transaction. In my early years of marriage to my wife Jennifer, and one of the things that myself and my son, who's my son and and has been born of me, mimics me in this definition, is that a lot of times we look at life through the eyes of justice. What's fair? And if I do something for you, I expect you to do in in reciprocation the very thing that I've done for you. So if I've done a favor for you, I expect a favor back because that's what love is. Human love is a give and take. It's a transaction. And a lot of times you feel unloved when someone doesn't reciprocate the love that you have demonstrated. But true love, biblical love is not a reciprocation. It's not something of a transaction where I give something and expect payment back. Human love is such where we expect this give and take, but divine love is very different. John Stott, an Anglican pastor or priest, uh, speaks about love in this way, where he says love, this agape love, is self-sacrifice, the seeking of another's positive good at one's own cost. That there is a sacrifice and a cost, and it is the seeking of someone else's good, even if it means That it's not good for you. Here in this passage, it says that love as its source comes from God and that God is love. And as Pastor Harold made it clear last week, the reciprocal is not true. Love is not God, although we have a tendency in our lives and culture to make a pursuit of love a small case G God. And we understand that when Scripture says God is love, it's speaking about his essence, that all that he does is loving, even in his justice. And that love is sometimes confrontational. Love is sometimes hard because love deals with the negative things that keep us or from one another or harms us in our life. The realization of what real love is, is a growing experience in a process. Many years ago, I had a fellowship with several couples, and it was a married fellowship. And as we started this time, I wanted to talk about what love is in a marriage. And I wanted it to define it from scripture. And so I, I asked the couples in the beginning, I said, hey, do you guys love each other? And, you know, when you ask that question, you got to nod yes, <laughs> And so couples are smiling at each other, and they're making these googly faces at each other. Yes, we love each other. And you could see a couple or two looking at each other like, is it okay if I say I love you? <laughs> and the other person said, yes. I said, okay, yes, we love each other. And so everyone's smiling and happy, and then I, I said, okay, that's awesome. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is. And let's read this. And, it, and I said, love is patient, and a head goes down. Love is kind, another head goes down. It does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In fact, love never fails. And as I finished reading 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, I then asked again the question, You guys love each other. A lot more heads were down. And what we began to discover as couples is that we realized that I want to feel love for you. I'm I'm trying to love you. But when I look at what love really is by definition according to scripture and according to the gospel, I fall short. I realize this constantly in my own marriage. Last Saturday, we had kind of a busy day. And as we were going in and out of home and, and we, our kids were with us, uh, one, of the, one of the families at our church, one of the moms had surgery. So we were going to uh, drop off some food for them. So we went to go pick up In-N-Out. And as we picked up In-N-Out, you know, we were go- after that we were going to drop off the food and then we were going to go to a basketball game for my daughter. So the choice was you're going you're to eat dinner either before that game or after that game. So my son and I said, you know what, it smells so good. Every time you go through the drive-thru in and out, you just got to order something, right? And so I said, you know what? I'm going to eat something. So my son ordered something. I ordered something. And we're driving in the car. We're eating. After the basketball game, on the way home, I said, hey, you guys want anything? You want to pick up anything? Because, you know, once we go home, it's going to get late and all that stuff. By the way, it was the third game between the Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers. They had lost the first two games. And I love underdog comebacks. And I was waiting to watch this game. We start watching the game, and at 9 o'clock, 9 p.m., my wife says, I'm kind of getting hungry. I said, okay, cool. <laughs> she said, you know, I kind of feel like eating in and out I said, oh, my gosh. I said, really? I said, uh, let me know when you go, I'd love a shake. <laughs> of course, I knew what was coming. She said, honey. Can you go get me some in and out And I'm thinking, why? I'm busy. There's two cars outside. (laughs) The keys are right up there on the wall. She said, oh. I said, well, you know, why don't you go? And she said, "Uh, I'm tired. Can you go? And I was like, oh, are you serious? You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, would you do this for me? If you were watching like this movie or something and I said, I'm hungry, can you get me something to eat? Would you say yes or would you say no? Because to me, again, love is supposed to be fair and just and equitable and and sometimes it's not. And so, of course, not only my wife says this, now my daughter hears that there's in and out. She's like, oh, yeah, me too. And of course, I'm preparing a message on love. The Holy Spirit says, love is (laughs) self-sacrifice. And so I walk away from the TV. I'm driving to In-N-Out. I'm reflecting on the message I'm about to give the next day. And I'm realizing the chasm between the message that I want to preach and the heart that I have or I don't have. Because loving... Sometimes when it's convenient and when you want to, man, it's so good. It feels so good. But when someone asks you to love when you're not wanting to or when you're not desiring to, that's tough. I don't think Jesus really thought the cross was such a wonderful thing to experience. But here the biblical love we see is so much more. And the connectedness of understanding the source to what love is, is important. And, there, and maybe when you ask yourself, why is it so hard to love? There are several thoughts. I just want to share a few. First of all, the passage says very clearly that if you love, you know God and are born of God. But if you don't love, it's possible that you don't know God and you're not born of him. If you're not connected to the source of love, it's hard for you to love in this way. It's not that people without Christ or before Christ don't know what or don't want to practice love. It's this kind of love is not the kind of love we're we're thinking about. Because God's love is something we come to know through Christ and what Christ has done. And so for many as Christians, as we come to experience this, now we're called to take this experience and understanding of love and live that out in our life. Another reason why people uh, may find it difficult to love is because of sin. When we are covered in sin, pride, and self-centeredness, it's hard to think of others. It's hard to think about God. In fact, sometimes God becomes a means to my own happiness and fulfillment. But we begin to understand that love, the way God loved us, was really about just giving. That even though we were still sinners, that we weren't asking for it or desiring it or even loving him, he loved us first. Another reason why it's hard to love is because of idolatry. That there's not a big, huge space to love. It's, it's very limited. That's why God says in Scripture, you can't love both God and money. A lot of us think we can But God says the human condition of the heart is very limited to what and whom you can love. There's space enough for only one God. And in our lives, we have a tendency to take good things and make them ultimate things, whether it's our children, whether it's our work or idea of success, whether it's our dream of the future, that these things become so significant to us that it's not that we don't love God, it's that we love these things more. It becomes these hidden idols that it get exposed. And fourthly, perhaps one of the reasons why it's so hard to love is because Christ is really not central. As believers, Jesus should be the greatest love. It's not good enough to know that there shouldn't be idols in our lives to dispel of them, but it's important to have the right love be central. And so sometimes as we think about loving God, properly so that we can love others from that love. It begins with this love for God. And Jesus made it very clear that loving him isn't just an emotion. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He equates love with obedience. And here is the challenge that when, when you're in a situation where you don't want to be loving to a person, you don't want to forgive that person because what that person did was really wrong and that person deserves justice, not mercy or love. And at that point, you can choose to be the God of your life and determine what to do or you can surrender that feeling and that desire and trust him that the better way The supreme way of his love means that I'm going to surrender my right to be angry, my right to demand justice, and I'm going to turn with forgiveness and love. To obey in that sense, to love one another as he has loved us, is to surrender ourselves to his truth and his authority in our life. And it's not just about surrender. It's about really understanding and seeking after him. Because in the the pursuit of seeking and loving God, one of the most powerful times that we experience and we get to demonstrate love for him together is here on a Sunday worship. This is not about what you receive. It's about what you've come to give. We've come to give worship to God, to tell him how much we love him and how worthy he is of all that we have to give. Because we have been recipients of an incredible love, we have come to give. And I want to say to you very clearly, if you continue to forget to give him the proper worship that's due his name, I promise you we will find a quick replacement to worship something or someone else. So love defined by people is different than a love defined and demonstrated by God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes in his commentary that the love of God, regarding the love of God, he says, the more I study the New Testament and live the Christian life, the more convinced I am that our fundamental difficulty, our fundamental lack, is the lack of seeing the love of God. It is not so much for knowledge that is defective, but our vision of the love of God. And thus, our greatest object and endeavor should be to know him better, and thus, we will love him more truly. And so the truest and surest way of growing in love for others is by knowing and seeing his love more clearly. And so when we think about defining love, it begins with God as a source. It begins with the fact that God is love. But the second question is, why did God love us so? In verse 9 and 10, the Apostle John gives us two definitions of love as he describes this gospel message. He says in verse 9, In this is the love of God, that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Implied is that so that we might not die in our sin. In verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I know Pastor Harold also spoke on this as well. And let me remind us for the definition of what propitiation means. Propitiation is is the appeasement of God's wrath and judgment. And so putting it in a thought, it means that Jesus Christ is not only the priest who makes the offering, but he becomes himself that offering. The means of this divine appeasement of the wrath and judgment of God where the sacrifice offered, the Lamb of God that is slain, is not just another Lamb, but God the Son himself. You know, as we think about this, why God loved us so, God determined by his own will that humanity, lived, living and condemned in sin, should not end this way. That his will was to demonstrate his love through his son, not only by sending him, but having him become the very means by which forgiveness and salvation is found. Now, for those of us who've been going to church for many years, we understand that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, it's not by our works. And so we're thankful. And maybe there are times when we think, you know what? Of course God would love me. I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I'm a lovable person. And when someone doesn't love you back, you're thinking, what's wrong with you? Why would you not love this? But as I lived my life, I began to realize more and more that what I think is lovable, which is me, is really a lot more sinful than I had imagined. The beauty of the love of God is most clearly seen when you understand more and more what we truly did deserve and what we didn't receive. That someone else took that pain and that experience on our behalf. Many years ago when I was meditating on a Good Friday before Easter Sunday, I was reading through the crucifixion of Christ. And there's a phrase in Aramaic in the Gospels where it says, Eli Eli Lama Sabachthani, which means My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? And I realized as I meditated on those words of Christ on the cross that it wasn't just the physical pain that made the cross so unbearable; it was actually the spiritual anguish of knowing that the one whom He went to the garden every morning and called Abba, Father, is now has become not Father but My God, and this God who has now forsaken Him and as he is experiencing the deepest spiritual anguish of having the one he loved be distant and and he becoming sin, at that moment I realized that what Jesus said was supposed to be my words. You see, I was supposed to be the one on the day of judgment when I stood before a holy God and had to give an account of my life that I was supposed to be the one who were to say, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? But because Christ took my place, because he was the propitiation for my sin, I will never say those words. And anyone who puts their trust in him will never say those words before the presence of God because the Lamb of God said that on the cross for all of us. We will never know what it's like to be forsaken by God. What we rightfully deserved, we didn't get. What we totally didn't deserve at all, we received fully. This is the love of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones continues in his commentary, he writes, For without the doctrine of atonement, you do not know the love of God. The atonement, Through the atonement, we learn that sometimes love needs to be tough, even confrontational. That loving someone doesn't mean that we just leave them in a state of harm, self-harm, or even delusion. We speak the truth and we demonstrate love. That's what the cross is. The sacrificial and substitutionary work of Christ reminds us that it wasn't us, but it was Jesus. And when it comes to sin, how bad is sin? was a time when I was at Berkeley as a campus ministry pastor and there was a young student who was standing there talking to a preacher who was a hellfire brimstone preacher and his simple question was why do I and all of humanity have to die because someone ate a fruit that makes no sense to me and I sat there and I thought wow that's a really great question as I began to read and study theology what began to dawn on me wasn't so much that it was this horrid act of eating a forbidden fruit. It was the fact that the creator God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords said, This is forbidden. And so the offense was not just that we broke his commandment, but that we offended the almighty. In other words, if I call a man on the street, you idiot, we might get an argument maybe in a little scuffle. If I call a king, you idiot, I will die. (laughs) It's not just the offense, it's whom was offended. And in this we see the gravity of the need of of what Christ alone could have done. And so defining love begins with God and is clearly seen in the gospel. Why did God love us so? Because he didn't want to leave us in our death. He wanted to give us life. It was the gracious, kind act of God. Thirdly, why do we have to love others? John continues in verse 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us. Church, I say to you, Beloved, if God so loved us. He says, we also ought to love one another. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides or remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. This phrase, perfected in us, is an understanding of the fact that it is Another way we could translate this is that God's love is closely embodied in us. So that it's fulfilling its purpose. That it's not just something we receive, but it's something that begins to be demonstrated and lived out. And so when we ask the reason, why should we love one another? There are three reasons that I want to share with you. First of all, it's because loving God and loving others go hand in hand. The summary of the Old Testament laws, what are they? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor As ourselves. And then Jesus took that to the ultimate level. Where he said now love one another as I have loved you. And as you love one another. All the world will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. This newfound love is not just a love for myself. Which is very strong. But it's taken to the true true level. Where we are to love one another as he has loved us. So loving God and loving others go hand in hand. Secondly, because other Christians are God's beloved too. Then when he says to the beloved that I have loved you, there are some people who have spoken of the church. They say, I love God. I, I, I believe in God and Jesus Christ. I just don't like the church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. It's corrupt. I don't want any part of it. And my response is, are absolutely right. Yes, that's very true. The church is not a gathering of perf- perfect people. We're imperfect people, but through the perfect love of God, He wants to make it demonstrated. He, want us, he wants us to be those very means and those very people by which He would demonstrate His love to the world. The body of Christ spoken of, you can't love the head and not love the body. The beloved of Christ, you can't love the husband and hate his wife. The children of God, you can't love the father and hate his children. John Stott writes in his commentary, he says, For the loveless Christian to profess to know God and to have been born of God is like claiming to be intimate with a foreign foreigner whose language we cannot speak. Or to have been born of parents whom we do not have any resemblance. It is to fail to manifest the nature of him whom we claim as our father. And so as we think about loving his beloved, it's because these are his children, his beloved ones. And I know on on Sundays when we gather together and I pictured this, this room and I think about all the people as we greet one another, I know, even for myself, as I greet people, I don't know your name. And I keep forgetting your name. Memory just escapes me. But when I stand here and look at you guys, I want you to know what I see is not just a bunch of strangers in a room. What I see are his beloved. And I want us to remember that. These aren't just faces in an audience in a group. They are his beloved. And there are some things that we can do to demonstrate love for one another. John Stott writes, continuing in his his series, he writes, that is this unseen God who once revealed himself in his son now reveals himself in his people if and when they love one another. Our love for one another is evidence of God's indwelling presence. I didn't put this in my notes, but I was driving up this morning uh, to get ready for our teacher's first service, our first service at 9 a.m., and I saw rain was kind of coming down a little bit. It was sprinkling. And I see the guys pushing these carts. <laughs> like they're pushing them. And I had to pause honestly. And I sat there and I thought, man, do we know how much we've been loved? One of the, one of the guys who was pushing is the father of, a, of a, a very young child, a newborn. And he left his wife and his son. And he's there pushing. And I'm just thinking, what is this? Who does this? In the early morning hours on a Sunday, on a cold, winter, a cold summer day. <laughs> who does this? You and I stand here and all this stuff doesn't just magically appear. There are people who sacrifice week in and week out so that you and I can have a seamless worship. That my microphone works, there's stands and there's music and, there's, and that all these things are set up and they are, they are done by people weekly who sacrifice their morning times with their family or extra sleep and they come to serve us. And this morning I want to say thank you to our setup team who love us every week by doing the work that sometimes people never see. In application to this, um, Pastor Daniel mentioned one of the events coming up uh, in a few weeks. It's a film from our access ministry called Intelligent Lives. The staff were able to see this film previously. And one of the things that you and I get a chance to experience is we get through access ministry, we get a chance to look at lives differently through the lens of our God, who sees people created in His image. And that all shortcomings, whether they are societal, uh, society has recognized them as okay or not okay, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And what I love about what our access ministry is trying to teach us as a church is that we need to see people through the eyes of God and not through our cultural perspective. That these are intelligent lives, more than we can imagine. To see them as God sees them, to love them as God loves them. And I would encourage you to go see it, and it's a, it's a great film. And I and, and it's it got it provoked me to think like, do I, am I ready, am I willing to be uncomfortable and to and to love in a way that stretches me? Another way that we can share love with one another in this church is through prayer. A word. A message, a text, a meal, a hug, a prayer. Recently, one of our sisters at Christ Central, her name is Jessica, she was recently diagnosed with ovarian cancer. I asked her permission if I can share this in a message and can we share this prayer request with the church. She said, please. She recently got news with her husband that her cancer had spread to her liver and possibly other areas of her body. When the cancer starts to spread... It's scary. And so now, they don't know what's going to happen next. They're waiting for further diagnosis and and discussions with physicians. In the meantime, we're welcomed by this family into the battle of their life to pray with them and for them. You may not even know who this lady is. You may not even know who her husband or her three sons are. But she is a daughter in the Lord. She is a sister in Christ. We can't love everybody. I don't know how to love 500 people. But you can love somebody. And the one way that you could demonstrate love is through prayer. And I want to ask you to sign up and put, I hope every slot is just filled with names so that there's no more space you could put in and that we could be interceding and praying for Jessica. And it's one of the ways that people feel loved. It's not even a whole lot. It's these moments when we intercede and we lift up a dear sister to the Lord and we say, Lord, please, please heal her. I don't know what God's will is in this battle with cancer. I don't know how the future will hold and what the answers will be. But I do know that God is teaching this family how he loves them as people come by and drop off meals, as people come by to pray To send a message and to tell them, we see you and we love you. I want to invite you to join us in this way. I also want to encourage you to remember that as we try to love one another, we will fall short. Because we're imperfect, sometimes very selfish beings. In our marriages, with our children, with our friendships, with our roommates. There are times when we're going to act so selfishly that if I do these things, I'm expecting a transaction. But I want to remind us that the gospel takes us to a love where no transaction is possible. There's nothing I could do to repay Jesus for what he did for me. Nothing. Even if I tried with the rest of my life, I will fall short again and again and again. And this is where I hope that you and I receive again this morning a message of the gospel hope that you and I have been loved first by him most powerfully and completely by him and that because we have been so loved brothers and sisters we ought to love one another and as we do this we will understand that that's what we were born for we are born to love him we are born to love one another and this way may the world know that we are His followers. Let's pray.